people believe that self-actualization is like almost like enlightenment, reaching nirvana. In a lot of ways, it's ultimate being. And once I get there, like I'm resolved of all pain and suffering, and I don't have to work anymore, which couldn't be farther from the truth. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Gentleman's Atlas podcast, where we focus on giving you the tools and resources to become the hero of your story. I'm your host, Isaac. And today's honest and authentic conversation is exactly what you need to hear to live life on your terms. So without wasting any time, let's go ahead and get right into today's episode. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, gentlemen, to another episode on the Gentleman's Atlas podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Today's going to be a guest interview where I bring someone on where we can have an open and authentic and honest conversation about self-improvement, about their area of expertise, and get into this conversation where, again, we talk about how we can become the best versions of ourselves. Today's guest is a confidence coach. He's someone that I see a good heart in him. Good heart in him. I see someone that cares about the people he works with, and I see a good energy of overall how can we become better as a group. Right? We can all win in the end. We can all be the heroes of our own stories. We don't have to push anyone down. We don't have to compete against anyone but ourselves. So without further ado, let me bring onto the show, Joey. Joey, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Glad to have you on, man. So I think the best way to get started for this episode would be to give the people a little bit about your backstory and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Uh, to begin... I, uh, as all of our teachers asked us when we were in high school, what do you want to do with your life, your parents? And I thought, I have no idea until I was 18 and I walked into my first psychology class and I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do with my life. Something related to psychology. So I did. And I was studying to be a therapist for ever and went to college for psychology and health and wellness, then decided to pursue social work and do therapy. Once I got accepted, I was like, nah, I don't want to do this because <laughs> I was nervous about the debt and the fact that it just doesn't make a lot of money and it's a really hard job. So I went an IT route because um, I had more resume experience, hated it. It just, I mean, I love, I tried to make a hobby into a career and it just wasn't for me. Didn't align my values. And it wasn't until I attended, you know, the apocalypse happened, it's COVID, and I attended a Tony Robbins event. And it just kind of shook me in a lot of ways. And one of the things that really stood out to me was um, one of the things he said was um, your life when it's going great, like it's good, not necessarily great. And you can't really put your finger on what it is that it's missing. Anybody were to tell you outside of your life would be like, your life's good. You should be thankful. Things are good. You know, just be happy where you are. And that that's how I felt. And there was something missing and I didn't know what it was, but it was lack of fulfillment. And that's the type of that feeling. If you ignore it, you'll wake up in 20, 30 years and be like, holy shit, what have I done with my life? I'm having a midlife crisis. I don't know what's going on. And that's really where your soul dies. And I didn't want to do that. So I discovered coaching and I've been rolling through it for quite a few years now. And it feels great to empower others. So that's kind of like the gist of where I got to coaching in general. So yeah, that's what comes to mind. Yeah. I'm, I think I want to go and put a, and talk about that piece about lack of fulfillment. I think a lot sure. of us have those moments in life where mm -hmm. we kind of wake up from the day to day, right? We, we mm -hmm. step into awareness 
of everything that's been going on and everything that we've been doing day after day, like clockwork. And we get to this part where we kind of lift our heads up and we're like, man, you know, we haven't really been doing what's fulfilling to us. And so I think the biggest disconnect a lot of people might face is they confuse fulfillment and happiness. They confuse the feeling of euphoria, of joy and happiness with the feeling of meaning and a sense of purpose. So I think that you recognize something that might have been a little more deeper than happiness, right? Shaking you doesn't really shake you to be happy. It shakes you to find meaning. And so Mm. when you're, you know, when you've started on this path of coaching, as well as like working with people, what are some of the ways that people can recognize what is most meaningful to them? Well, one thing that comes to mind is I forget the author's name, uh, but she was talking about on a podcast. Oh, I hate that advice where it says, go follow your passion. It's the worst advice. In her opinion, it was the worst advice anyone's ever given her because some people have no passions or they have too many. A better piece of advice would be follow your curiosity. And I agree with that in a lot of ways. So if you find yourself waking up every day and you're just like, this is okay. And that's it. Or like, this is good. And it's not like, oh my God, this is amazing. That's usually kind of an indicator that there's something missing. Or it could be areas of life too in relationships or finance, not just career, but just other areas. And that's always a good idea to check in. Like, what am I curious about exploring? What haven't I explored that I wanted to do? Or maybe there's a list of things. Pick one. That's the top one. That's what comes to mind. It's like a good indicator to check in of like, you know, what's missing, if anything. Yeah, I think there's this idea that Marcus Aurelius explained in meditations that he said, you know, when when you wake up, it's that thing that gets you out of bed that keeps you from staying in what's comfortable and what's nice. And you have an urge to explore. You have an urge to, to build it, to discover more about it. And I think that curiosity is, is a factor that a lot of people have lost, especially in modern day times, that if we reapply to our lives and we reapply to seeking what we actually need to be doing, not what we think we should be doing, it gives us a chance to go from mediocre to great. And I think greatness needs to be understood, not in the sense of, you know, grandiose, but in terms of relevance. Greatness is maximizing your destiny, which can mean a lot of things. Your destiny isn't my destiny. And I think a lot of people get it mixed up, too, where they think greatness is becoming this top 1% person, becoming this person that has millions or billions in wealth. And while if that's what you feel called to do... There's nothing wrong with that. And I implore everyone to pursue what they have their destiny. I think it's recognizing how do we step away from this society of pursuing the same goals? And how do I pursue, again, my goals? And I think that what curiosity is often, one aspect of it that's very often overlooked is this fact that curiosity pertains to an individual. An individual is curious about what is more meaningful to them. So what happens is they naturally start aligning with things that are automatically going to be more called to the sense of purpose. Curiosity aligns more with identity rather than what society portrays us and tells us to believe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that comes to mind is like comparison. We do this naturally, biologically. We're wired to, to a certain degree to compare ourselves to others and, you know, media companies and all the other advertisers, they know this. So they, 
utilize that factor and put it in our faces. You know, men and women compare themselves all the time to each other. That's one thing. So reducing social media is one thing I'd recommend offhandedly. But more importantly, don't just put it down just because I said so or other people say so because you know that. Put it down and go take some time to yourself to figure out, like, what do you want? There's nothing more powerful than a person who knows what they want. And then they go after it, which is a whole other thing entirely. So getting clear about what you like or you don't like, because what you don't like is just as important for sure. There's an exercise I love to do with my clients, actually, and I'll share it on here. I call it the 100 questions exercise. Have you heard of it before? I think I've heard a, a version of it, but I'd like to hear yours, of course. Yeah, sure. So it's simply this. You ask yourself 100 questions. Why? Because the quality of your life is based on the quality of questions you ask yourself. This will show you what type of questions you're asking yourself. It's, it'll take about an hour. The challenge is to come up with 100 questions in one sitting. They can be anything. Why is the sky blue? Why do I have hands? Why do I wear shirts? It's something silly like that at first. What you'll find is that you'll quickly run out of those silly questions and you'll start asking yourself the deeper questions, things that have been on your mind. Don't stop until you get to 100 and don't answer them. The next step is to just look at them. Categorize them. Oh, that's about relationships. Oh, this one's about career. Interesting. Interesting that there is more in one area versus the other of my life. The last step, which is the biggest challenge, is pick the top 10 that are the most impactful and only those 10 and answer them. Those are the questions you're probably asking yourself mostly in your life. And based on those questions, you'll kind of see where you are. It's a good mile marker to check in with yourself. I love doing that and with my clients too. Yeah, I think now that you brought it up, why don't we do three each? Think of three questions and sure. we can talk about how I think because I think what I think a part of it, too, that's really important is one, the questions allow you to discover more about yourself. Sure. But I think, two, they're a way for you to express what your subconscious has already been thinking about, because mm -hmm. these questions originate from, like you said, if they're directed or more biased in a certain area of life it's meaning something, right? If it's around career, well, maybe there's something that's with career that you need to start figuring out or whether it's family, financial, personal, mental, whatever it may be, I think the relevance of the topics of those questions can really tell you what in life has been pressing your mind mostly, especially when it comes to understanding ourselves better. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Would you like to go first? We can switch, switch off questions. All right, so I'll go first question. Why... Do I love the things that I do? Why do you? <laughs> I think the reason that I love what I do is because I feel fulfilled while I'm doing what I do. I see impact when I do the things that I do. And when I look back, I see tangible results because of the responsibility and actions that I took. Beautiful. Love that. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> my turn. The first question that came to my mind, honestly, was like, why am I not further ahead in career? And that's kind of a negative question. And that literally talks about everything we just spoke about. There's a comparison theory. And that kind of came up a lot. I mentioned before this call, I did a lot of shadow work uh, recently when I was out of the country. And I had this realization of like, oh, wow, these are where I want to be. And this is like where I am. 
And there was a bit of unworthiness that I've struggled with in my past that came up. And I share this question because it's a beautiful opportunity to have grace and forgiveness for myself, which is kind of integrating all the learnings. So if you flip it, rather than why am I not further ahead, it's an opportunity to say to myself, look how far I've come, and then stand in that confidence and be proud of that. And I, well, I think a lot of people struggle with that. So, Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think the important thing that we should all be looking at, what you just said too, is the question originally came with a negative connotation, but how do we reframe what we're thinking? Because mm -hmm. I think that a very powerful discipline we can have in our mind is stopping negative thoughts, not because, not simply because they're negative, but because there's a better way to go about it, which mm -hmm. you just explained is what you did. You found grace in the negativity and therefore it wasn't negative anymore. There was, there yeah. was a way to look at the, instead of things that were against you, an opportunity for you to recognize where you've been and now where you know you want to go, which is yeah. twofold to the benefit. Um, I think the next question for me is really going to be in the aspect of how do I figure out what to do next? And I think it's this message of, I know there's always something out there that's, you know, the next step. I'm always so focused on, you know, the next climb of the mountain and where I'm supposed to go. And so I really think about this idea that it's very interesting to me. Because when I think about this idea, and I, and I don't know how to fully explain it, but it's always like, you're always so focused on where you're going, mm -hmm. and it's hard to look back sometimes, because when you look back, it's admitting to yourself that you've done well, that mm -hmm. you've accomplished things. But for me, it's like, this scoreboard for me in my life is still so low comparative to where I want to be. And it's not even a negative thing, it's just I know where I want to be going. And I know the amount of focus and dedication it takes. So it, it motivates me and it inspires me. But I also know, like, I have to keep pushing and keep on pushing. So a lot of times, you know, it's it's always in the back of my mind. Two things that come to mind when you say that. One, you said admitting how much I've done. I'd say I would switch that language and say appreciating for what you've achieved and accomplished versus, like, I have to admit I did well versus, like, I get to, like, appreciate what I've done well. Just to find a little reframe there. And I love what you said about the scoreboard. It makes me think about how a lot of people do this, but I find in my experience men more so than others tend to have their self-worth tied up into how successful they are. And I know we live in a society where it kind of like promotes that in a lot of ways. But this goes back to what you were saying before about the happiness piece of like, if I'm successful, I'm more fulfilled and I'll be more happy. But as we've kind of talked about, like, happiness and fulfillment are different in a lot of ways. Happiness is a fleeting feeling. Fulfillment, I, in my personal opinion, I feel fulfillment is kind of like a base level marker. When you increase your fulfillment, you increase your base level of happiness. And vice versa, you won't always be happy, but you'll have, like, a higher level of confidence in yourself when you feel more fulfilled. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. And it's, it's something that I think... Again, the whole point about exercises like these and even just asking questions in general, which everyone should be doing, is there's a lot of little things you realize. And I think that the more you're able to take outside knowledge and apply them to the questions, not only in reframing, but as well as what you said, 
um, can really make a difference to moving on to that next step in our own lives. Mm, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> I guess my turn. The question would be is, um, what is the one area, not the one area, but the one thing I need to focus on? There's a great book called The One Thing. Uh, the guy who started the company, Keller Williams, and it's a phenomenal book. Highly recommend it for those who haven't heard of it. And that's kind of the concept I've been wrestling with lately. It's just like, what is the one thing I need to focus on? Is it continuing to just pursue one-on-one clients? Maybe expand to more group coaching? Maybe uh, creating an online course? Uh, continuing to do more podcast episodes? You know, or uh, maybe get into real estate, which I'm looking at doing too, or traveling more. A lot of things that I'm uh, thinking about right now, but choosing the one thing and focusing on, I think would be best. And even while saying that to myself, what comes to mind is, um, I think Jim Rohn once said this, Tony Robbins mentor, where it's just like, we'll pick something and you'll find out very quickly if it's the right path or not versus just analysis paralysis and deciding which one's best type of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's good. And I think for me, my third question is going to be along the lines of how do I simplify and go to what's essential and take what I've been learning and apply it to basic foundational principles of living? Mm-hmm. I think that one of the greatest things that we can do is take, like you said, take those 100 questions and make them 10. Take 25 principles and make them five. I think when we can simplify a way of being into simple terms that are clearly defined yet vague in a sense that they can apply to many circumstances. You know, I love like the quotes where you just think about it and the more you think about it, the more it applies to all areas of life. Mm-hmm. Right? And the more it applies to how you carry out every action. You know, they have that saying of how you do one thing is how you do everything. When mm-hmm. it comes to a, a virtue, it can apply everywhere. You know, I could say respect and in my head or someone else's head, they could be thinking, Oh, being respectful towards others. But respectful can also mean being respectful by staying organized because I owe it to the place that I live in. It can be respectful in terms of how I think, you know, I shouldn't be thinking negatively because that's disrespectful to, to the way I feel about myself, respect mm-hmm. in terms of my word, my commitments, my actions, my, like, all these things can tie back to one attribute. So instead of saying, you know, organized, instead of saying honorable, instead of saying all these words that maybe could be parts of respect, how do I narrow it down? And so respect's just one aspect. But in life, there's a lot of things where we can take down, where we can narrow down what we're thinking about and come up with these principles that can be more adaptable into our lives. You know, when I think about, in general, how I see my life, I look at, you know, a year ago, two years ago, and I look at a lot of stuff that I was thinking, a lot of stuff that I was writing down, and I see that over time, I've had a lot of the similar thoughts, but the eloquency and the way that I've been been able to reduce the thoughts that I've had into more concise and professional ones in terms of just the way I see them has been able to propel my life forward. And there was this great quote that I once heard that talk about great poems can only be read by great poets. Therefore, most people will never be able to understand great poems because the power behind the messaging and the words takes a certain level of detail to condense something so powerful into something that appears so simple yet is so much more than what it seems. 
Mm. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> that was good. Absolutely. I, uh, I so agree with that because it takes a creative mind or open-minded perspective to see those type of viewpoints. And if you're not open to it, you won't really understand it. And that's what came to mind when you said that. I love that. <laughs> Final question for me would be, slowing down, I guess more specifically, how do I integrate all the learnings that I've learned? And that's like an umbrella question because you could spark off a lot of other questions like that. But in the past year, I have done a ton of self-help development and a ton of seminars, a lot of trainings, honestly, probably too much. I didn't know that there was such thing as self-development burnout, but I hit it and it's, it's rough. So rather than go, go, going, learning how to absorb it all, take it in and use it efficiently, it's kind of been something that's really been on my mind lately. So yeah, that's the question that came to my mind. Yeah, and I think a good transitioning point is, is that very question. I think a lot of us, we're so used to the excess um, of what the world's kind of taught us to seem is important, right? This uh, maximalism lifestyle. And, you know, I think about it, I think about it like I, see, like I see a sponge. You know, a sponge can only take up so much water before it just starts kind of just letting the water kind of go through it because it just can't hold anymore. And I think that what we have to begin doing is instead of just thinking we have to continue consuming, 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 it's no, let's put it to some use, you know, and let's take some of this out of it. Let's, you know, in a sense, dry up the sponge by using the knowledge. And it goes back to an idea that I've been kind of contemplating a lot recently between conceptual knowledge and application-based knowledge. You know, a lot of us, almost all of us can remember what it was like in school in, you know, sixth grade, seventh grade, when we're learning about history and what happened during the American Revolution and these sorts of events. And we're learning about conceptual knowledge. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, we see this knowledge and we see these patterns and we're recognizing theoretical-based knowledge, which can sound great, which can sound very informative. And a lot of times does have some value but it's taught by people that study how other people live, not necessarily live the lifestyles that other people live to learn their basis. And so it goes back to this idea of like back in the times of like the Renaissance, why was a period like that so great? It wasn't because they studied conceptual knowledge. It was because they studied some of the greatest times like the Greeks, like the Egyptians, like the Romans. And they studied how some of their best lived how aristotle socrates plato lived and what did that do it created a new generation of almost as great if not just as great individuals like your michelangelo and so with this idea it's how do we recognize one when we're consuming what may way more than we need to in order to start producing um when there's excess rather than focus um, in essential in essentialism in a sense too, but it's also, where are we getting our information from? You know, if you learn, for example, we're both coaches. If you learn about life coaching from a Tony Robbins, or you take a, a course from a college about coaching, one of them's more application based knowledge. One of them's more conceptual based knowledge. And so it's, again, how do we derive not only information, but the right kind of information and the information that's going to take us to where we want to live. 
I can listen. You can listen to anyone talk about a business and how a business works from an econ theoretical perspective. But if you listen to a business owner, it's a completely different story because they're talking about tried and true methods of what they actually did rather than what they believe, what someone else might just believe to work. And so I think it even gets to this point where we have to differentiate ourselves and hold ourselves accountable in the sense of we can't say yes to everything. And even if we think we can, we're taking away our attention and our bandwidth from recognizing what might be best for us. That's beautiful. <laughs> well said, sir. I, uh, the piece that I want to comment on is um, how do we recognize when we're basically consuming too much in a lot of ways? And what comes to mind for me is that one of my trainers once said to me, and they said, Joey, I bet if you never read another book again, you'd be a great coach. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> and I thought a lot about that. And for me, it has definitely been a thing where I've jumped from another, the next book, the next book, the next book, the next course, the next seminar, versus just taking a lot of the principles and applying them to my life and just just really mastering those and slowing down. We do live in an information society where people are um, bombarded by knowledge, but they're starving for wisdom in a lot of ways. And even sometimes when they have that wisdom, they feel like it's not enough. So it's like learning, learning, learning versus implementing and doing. So what comes to mind again is just slowing down, taking what you learn and applying it, giving it a shot. And if it even works for your life and it doesn't, go out there and try something else. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think one thing I want to preface before I, I answer that question that you just asked is in life you have to look at sustainability and balance right you want sure. to live an aspect that improves a lot of areas but to really answer the question for me it's identifying one thing in particular mm -hmm. and it's are you in a forward momentum or are you are you in a plateau mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is like in fitness if you're pursuing a goal and you're working towards increasing weight for example in weightlifting you don't need to change the system or learn more about the system if you're progressing. If you mm -hmm. have momentum, keep up the momentum and focus your bandwidth on continuing the systems. Now, mm -hmm. if you get to a point where you're starting to not get any more muscle, where you're not getting more weight, then yeah, go back to the systems and say, what's going on here? And that's where you might learn about reverse dieting. That's where you might learn about switching your weight program. That's where you may learn about taking a deload week. Mm -hmm. But that stuff isn't relevant until you get there. So what I see books as, and I'm someone that's also read a lot of books and I love reading, it's to fill these gaps in knowledge. It's to get condensed experience from a lot of people. But, you know, it's this idea of you can have a pool of resources that you use, but the resources are useless if you're not using them. So yeah. I think it's taking what you've already learned and going, and then you get to a point where you're like, oh, I don't know how to deal with this. Oh, cool. There's a book written by this guy who faced this and yeah. now I can learn from him. Okay. Let me read it. Okay, cool. Now I know what to do. Let me continue going. So I think it's the balance of these inflection points where you have momentum and you want to keep the momentum and it's like an arc, right? So you go up, you're using the momentum, you see it kind of declining. Okay. How do I boost it back up? Okay. Maybe I need to take a little rest, take a little travel and I need to read something about strategy or about mindset or about business or about finance. Right. It's it's covering your weaknesses and solidifying your strengths. And mm -hmm. so what 
I overall think has to happen is we have to recognize when are we procrastinating from taking the future that we know is ours because we're afraid that we're not prepared enough. Because the biggest issue that a lot of people have is they want to wait for this perfect moment and they think the best way to do so is by getting a massive amount of wealth and knowledge before they start instead of just using it to propel themselves. You know, it's like this analogy of having a store of food and all you're doing is storing food, storing food, storing food in, a, in the same space. And when you get to a point to one, you can't fit all the food inside. So now you're just kind of throwing it all around. But two, you get to a point where the food starts wasting away, yeah. right? And it's not that knowledge goes away, but it's that it's not being used for the purpose it's intended to be used. Mm-hmm. Knowledge was never meant to just be stored. It was meant to be used, to be lived. You know, mm-hmm. philosophers, their biggest gift wasn't that they had all this information. It was that they could use this information to better their lives. Mm-hmm. But being a philosopher isn't about eating grapes and just reading and thinking you're the best in the world. It's about reading and understanding and having conversations at a high level to better the world around you, to better yourself, to go out and live the life that you're meant to live. And mm-hmm. so I think that once we get knowledge and understand that, that it's not meant to be dormant, but to be used, to be applied, mm-hmm. that's where we start really seeing the change in our lives. And that's where I think we can begin to differentiate between when we need to be consuming and when we need to be producing. I love that. That Yeah, that makes me think of the idea that philosophers of ancient societies were not these people who read books in ivory towers and just watched out of people. They were the ones who were actually on the ground, moving, teaching, uh, fighting even, uh, a big sport for them, uh, wrestling and boxing. And they were just out there. They were, you know, they were the change makers uh, versus where we have this idea, like you said, like eating grapes, reading books. And like, that's not what stoicism and philosophy really was just what we think it is today just hoarders of knowledge which is uh they always utilize those knowledge to teach others and educate and that, another point that comes to mind for me on that is um at least in the area of confidence and other aspects of life when you feel less confident or you feel like you may be consuming too much knowledge or say um, go teach someone else Get in a group class, educate them, support them. You'll start focusing, stop focusing on yourself and then stop focusing on others on how to support them and help them grow. And then you'll start to feel less negative thoughts about yourself. You get out of your own head in a lot of ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it It's this idea that, you know, I think giving is the best form. I mean, if you want to find like a lot of happiness and joy in what you do, giving away what you've learned and the the resources that you have to help other people can be one of those great ways. But Mm. I think more importantly than that, um, or not necessarily more importantly, but something else that we need to understand about it is there's a difference between building ourselves to help our world shape the world Mm -hmm. and building ourselves for the mere fact of building ourselves. And so what I mean by that is no one necessarily changes the world. What people do is they change their world. And depending on the magnitude of their impact, that influences the world. So it's this idea that, again, when I'm bettering myself, when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm changing my world. And the hopes 
that that helps impact the world in a better way. And so I think once we begin to realize that, you know, that's the difference between, you know, these grand legacies that a lot of people leave and the ones that just leave really great lives, but necessarily don't change the world. Mm -hmm. That's where it comes from. Everyone can change their world to be a better world for their family, for their friends, for their children. But there's some people that maybe want to take that step further and they want to assume more responsibility that they now have an impact on the world because their impact on their own world is so big. You know, there's this quote that talks about power is what we have that influences the external, but peace is what we have when we influence the internal. And so I think it's this whole idea of going back to, you know, keeping your house in order, making sure that you're focusing on yourself and that you're treating yourself with decency and respect as, as if you were your own best friend. And back to your point about teaching others, when we have internal peace, when we have control over ourselves, then we may go out and we may do things that may help other people. But you're no use to someone that's flailing their arms out about a drown if you can't swim. You're not used to them if you have nowhere to go once you're there. And so I think it's this idea that we have to orient ourselves before we, or we help orient anyone else. And once we do that, not only are we in a position to help other people, but we're also in a position where they already look up to what we've done. Mm -hmm. And a prime example that I've seen in my life is when I originally got into a way better shape than I, when I was. It was during COVID. I lost about 25, 30 pounds. Congratulations. The, yeah, thank you. The people, <laughs> um, the people that I was around who wanted to lose weight, who I had shown them ways to lose weight because I was studying you know, books about personal training, about nutrition, about mm -hmm. fitness, about weightlifting, all these ideas. These were great principles that I still use to this day. A lot of them took it. And they listen to it, but they didn't change. But then they see me come out of pandemics like four months after seeing me from the previous time. And they're like, what happened to you? I don't even recognize you. And I'm like, I got to work. And they're like, how'd you do it? And I explained a third, a, a fourth of what I explained before. But they were so motivated that they saw the change that it inspired them to start changing themselves. Mm -hmm. And I saw more of them change weight than I'd ever seen any of them before when I gave them more of the tools and resources. So it goes to show that when we inflict change upon ourselves, the power of influence that that gives us over other people is bigger than a lot of us can imagine. Absolutely. Uh, the concept of perception is projection comes to mind. How you perceive the world is how it is. How you're going to, you know, how it's going to show up in your life. You think the world's a terrible place. It's going to be a terrible place. You think it's a wonderful place. You're going to see it and focus on that ideally. And I love what you said about how be the change you want to see. Essentially Gandhi, I believe Gandhi said that. So you start working on yourself physically, mentally, however, getting good at cooking classes. I don't know. And then making awesome meals and people are like, I want to learn to do that too. And it'll motivate them to do it. Looking for evidence. A lot of people are, and I've been this way too, included. I'm no, you know, uh, not immune to this, uh, feelings driven a lot of ways. And, you know, people usually buy with their feelings as well in all areas of life. When you 
run your life feelings driven, you're going to have a lot of up and downs. And I love how one of my instructors said it. You're going to, you're going to hit a lot of cars. If you drive your, if you drive your life with your feelings, you're going to hit a lot of cars and a lot of trees. But if you drive your life with commitments, commitment driven, you're going to hit a lot less cars and a lot less trees. And that was a big shift for me about what are you committed to versus like, because if you're committed, when you wake up, you're like, I don't feel like working out. You're going to go work out. If you're a superhero and you don't feel like saving the world, you're going to go do it. Anyway, you're sad. We'll go be sad and save the world type of thing. It makes sense. Yeah. No, it's just, it's funny to think about, but it's also just this idea that when we position ourselves to go after what's important to us, mm-hmm. when we go after what's meaningful, like you said, commitments, things that we hold ourselves to a certain standard, it can be very interesting to see how far along we've come. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the discipline, the levels mm-hmm. of will that we're able to hold ourselves to. You know, you look back and you're like, three months ago, I said I wanted to work out in the morning and I wouldn't work out. Now, regardless of how I feel, I work out. And so that's just an example of how people just change how they feel. You know, prime example is I had a friend who we decided to work out last night and I usually go to bed early, but I wanted to do it. So I did it. So we played basketball, we worked out and I had already worked out that morning. So when we worked out after the basketball game, I was extremely exhausted, but I had made a commitment. And so regardless of how I felt, regardless of what I had done, I followed through and I continued to do it. And I was happy to be there, even though I was tired. And then what happened the next morning today, (laughs) I still work out. I wake up early and I work out early. What I do, I want to work out early. I was tired. I had gone to been late, much later than I was usually used to going to. And I worked out. I was tired in the gym, gym this morning. The weights were heavier than normal, but I still did it. And what I think you don't realize until after the fact is that the more you hold these commitments to yourself, the better it gets because the Mm. more you respect yourself for being the person that follows through and it gets to a point where, again, we talked about principles applying to many aspects of our life. Mm. And one of those that I talk about for me is, is being a gentleman. And so a gentleman doesn't ever seek to do harm to someone else. They never seek to intentionally hurt someone else's feelings, but something that because I hold true to myself is honesty and it's a value oriented lifestyle that I live. There's moments where I have to say the truth as I see it, maybe not in a way that hurts them, but I have to say the truth because that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if I don't know the person or if I've known them my whole life, it's a commitment that I hold to myself. So I think it's, we can do what's necessary when the times are good, when it's convenient for us. But the bigger question is, what are we doing when times are tough, when they're not convenient? And that's a true testament to our character, to our values, to the standards that we hold for ourselves. You know, Mm -hmm. it's something that I've had to experience in a lot of faucets in life. And the more I go through it, the more I'm more in tune with my identity. Because the more you hold commitments to a standard of your word, and your level of self-respect, the more you begin to fall in love with the person that you are because the pride that you get 
from following through with these things supersedes a lot of things in life. And I think it gets to the point where you can fight off, quote unquote, the, the chaos that the world is. And I think that you mentioned, you know, perception is the world you craft. And there's so much truth in it because the way you see the world isn't the way I see it. And mm-hmm. I don't think anyone else sees the world sees the world the way you do or the way Absolutely. I do. Absolutely. And what's beautiful about that is that if you look at the world objectively, mm-hmm. it's chaotic. There's a lot of events going on. There's things that happen that shouldn't happen. There's things that don't happen that could happen. There's a lot of potential possibilities. There's a lot of great things in terms of just what we believe to be great. But again, who defines that? We do. And I think that once you get to a place where you're able to shoulder the burden of just simply existing in this kind of world, you can then craft a shield that protects you from the world of cosmos. Mm -hmm. And Mahali Shizhevsky, who wrote the book Flow 30 years ago, explained this. He calls it the shields of culture. And it's a Mm -hmm. concept that's beautifully explained that talks about we're placed into the world that's a speck of nothing amongst the stars, amongst the cosmos. We're nothing. But what happens is we're placed into groups of identity, groups of being, cultures. And what do they do? They give us a sense of belonging in the vastness of nothing, where we can feel assured, where we can feel like we belong, that we are cared for, that we have something in common with other people. And without these shields, we're unprotected from the chaos. And I think that the biggest thing that we can do is not necessarily step out of these shields, but acknowledge the presence of chaos outside the shields of order, outside the shields of belongingness and culture. And what that gives us is a realization that our viewpoint and our lives aren't the only ones out there and that we have infinite to know, infinite to gain, and infinite to grow. And we can accept that in a way that we're inspired by it, then we can take our lives to the potential that we always knew we had inside but never could realize. Hmm. That's beautiful. When I think of the universe, I think of organized chaos. (laughs) Uh, Nature is never in a hurry but is always on time in a lot of ways. (laughs) But when humans get involved, it's a little different. But uh, yeah, that's beautiful. I had another thought and I completely forgot what it was. I got wrapped up in your your story. It was so good. I love the book flow. I read a summary recently about it and it, I believe it's the one about talking about flow states or is that something else entirely? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. That, um, makes me think of the concept similar, but related is, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You're familiar with this, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, his highest one is self actualization. And I believe they talk about it in flow actually. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, where people always want to going back, coming out or some are that words are hard. These similar topics we've been talking about, um, fulfillment and whatnot. People believe that self-actualization is like almost like enlightenment, reaching nirvana. And a lot of ways is ultimate being. And once I get there, like I'm resolved of all pain and suffering and I don't have to work anymore, which couldn't be farther from the truth. And one of the concepts, I believe it was in flow, they talked about, it's actually, it's not something you just achieve and you're done with it. It's like moments. It's a state of being. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just, you just go in and you go out of it. You go in 
to enlightenment and go out of it. Um, I think, I think this was in the book. I may have made this one up. It was the concept of like this fisherman who cuts fish and he's in this flow state of just doing it. But it's just like, that's self-actualization. Just being in that state of mind or like, I love to view it as uh, gamers who, um, they're just so in the zone. They just can't, you know, take their focus out of it. Like that's a flow state. <laughs> that's a self-actualization state as well. And people are always looking for that. They think they're going to find it in success outside of them, but really you can find it within in yourselves. I remember what I was going to say before you said before related to this was the concept of, um, the commitments you had and, you know, you're going to the gym and even though you were tired and you weren't at your hundred percent best self today, you did it and you felt good about it. And that is what the concepts I teach my client is like, that's one of the many ways you gradually level up your self-esteem and your confidence. It's plus one, plus one, plus one every day or every moment. There's always an opportunity to increase that, to get to the flow state or self-actualization or higher level fulfillment, whatever you want to use in that example. Uh, alternatively, when you don't, you actually subtract one and it's just a one. It's not like you fall off the horse, but they add up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's this idea that, you know, one step isn't that much, but if you keep going down a flight of steps, you can go down a, quite a bit of stories. You know, I think it's, <laughs> it's the small things add up in both ways. So I think it's also in life, we have the feedback loops. We have these loops that continue and continue and continue, but they're spirals. They don't just go forward. They go up circular and they go down circular. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when we're in life, whether we're winning in a sense or we're losing in a sense, mm -hmm. we have to first become aware. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, the first step is taking store of where they are because a lot of us aren't where we want to be. And not necessarily that's not a bad thing, but it's this idea that if we're not able to accept where we currently are, we don't have a starting point. You can't start if you don't know where you're starting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's this idea that if you don't have a starting point, it's like running on a treadmill versus a track. You're just running in place because you don't even know where you're starting. So you're not really going anywhere, regardless of the effort you're putting. Seneca says it best. No wind is favorable to the sailor who knows which not port he sails to. Mm -hmm. But if we're running on a track, if we're running on a trail, we have a starting point and now we're off to the races. We have momentum and speed, not just speed. And so now we're moving in a purposeful direction. And, you know, you bring up this, this topic of, of fulfillment a, a lot. And I love hearing about it and talking about it and thinking about it. I know people who make a lot of money, who make so much money, and they are so miserable. But on the flip side, and I also want to say this because everyone hears that all the time. Oh, I know people that make millions of dollars. I've heard of people that make millions of dollars, and they're super unhappy. I've also met people that make millions and are extremely happy. But what's the difference between one and the other? One chased money the other made money through his purpose because when we align what we do with what we are fulfilled and called to do once we monetize our purpose what we are called to do well then we're meeting our needs we can live with first world problems not third world problems because here's the thing too you mentioned the hierarchy of needs if we're 
pursuing our purpose, but we're constantly worried about paying our water bill or our utility bill, or we're worried that if, you know, if you're married, your wife gets sick or you have kids and they get sick and you can't cover those expenses, how are you going to get to the point of self-actualization? But if you have the resources, because you're walking in your purpose, not only are you growing in what's meaningful, but you can say, I got you. You can say, I can take care of that. You can say, I don't have to worry about living paycheck to paycheck. And I can focus on what's important. And you mentioned the state of nirvana. And you mentioned how it's a state of being, not a, not a threshold that you pass and then you stay in. And I think the reason that these people get to this level is because they rewire their perspective. When you rewire how you see things, when you change your pain and pleasure centers, and you're able to, to frame things in a different way, where you enjoy meaning through struggle and sacrifice. Because I tell you, regardless of how I feel, going to the gym, I know one thing. The discomfort that I put my body through, I enjoy. Because I know that it's crafting me to be the man that I know I'm supposed to be. Every single time that I work out, every rep that I do, I know that that's what's making me better. And I think that when you get that aspect, not just in fitness, but in everything, how am I asking myself questions that unsettle me? that make me feel uncomfortable, that make me feel in a state of discomfort, that question everything I believe in, how does that make me better? And I think it goes back to this concept of every time we do those things, every time we get those moments to ask ourselves, do we stay where we are or do we question where we are? Not because we're unhappy, not because we question our ability or our identity, but because we know the kind of person we are. And that's a person of change. There's this phrase that I always like to describe myself as an agent of change. I'm not stuck in what I'm doing. I'm simply living in the virtues that I believe to be mine. But whatever situation I'm placed, I have those virtues. Whatever problems, challenges, setbacks come my way, well, they're not going to beat me. They're going to be what takes me forward, right? The obstacle is the way. And I think that at the moment, and I know that I still have a lot to go, so much to go. And that makes me happy. And that gives me excitement for what the future holds. But I know that where I am, I've had so many more responsibilities and burdens placed upon me. And I couldn't be happier for it. There's a quote I love that it's, men are like dump trucks. They drive straighter with a heavier load. The burden of responsibility, the burden of being is such a blessing. But only you can accept that. You know, I had one of my first episodes that I ever did with the podcast was we can't change people. And unfortunately, it, it's very true. No matter what we say, no matter how good the information, whether it's us, whether it's someone else, whether it's anyone in this world, the only one that can really change your life is you. The only one that can change your surroundings, your scenarios, your opportunities is you. When you can claim responsibility, that's when your life can begin to change. I love that. That's beautiful. One thing I uh, I came to mind when you were talking was um, the concept of like a lot of you know people have a lot of money they're unhappy, and I wanted to comment on that. I was reading the Psychology of Money. It's a great book, um, and it talked about the author who um, I think he's a millionaire something, or maybe less than that a bit, and he was at some sort of event where there was like a lot of billionaires. And somebody mentioned to him, is like, well, how does it make you feel even though you're just an author, you make X amount of money, that you're around all these billionaires? And he's like, I feel great. 
and the other, the other, his friend was like, well, why? He was like, because I'll have one thing that they'll never have, which is enough. And I, I love that concept because we do live in a society where it's not just materialistic, but it's like you said, the maximizing, the more and more and more. And when you can say to yourself, oh, I, I do have enough, or I'm satisfied and I'm happy, or even fulfilled, just where I am. Not to say that pursuing more and beyond what you currently have is not a worthwhile gain, but to recognize I've climbed the mountain and I'm happy with it. I don't need to keep searching for the next mountain. Does that make sense? I think it's this concept that I've explored and it's that there's a difference between recognizing where you can talk about happiness, but meaning and fulfillment comes from, and that's from within. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. it's, if you shift how you rely on certain things, like if you always think that money is going to make you happy, well, yeah. then you're always going to chase money. But if you mm -hmm. realize that looking inside and focusing on the internal and meaningful relationships and your purpose is going to, what's going to give you the ultimate fulfillment, then that can be the focus and the byproducts can be the money. You know, there's a, there's a concept that I've heard um, from some people that I know that, that do have a lot of money and they're just like, money is about keeping score. We don't respect it. It's just a tool. It's a medium mm -hmm. by which we motivate our change. So if we increase our wealth, we increase our wealth. And of course, we want to have the resources to help the causes we care about, to help our family, to help our friends. But, you know, at a certain level, it's just a game. But the difference between those that are miserable in the game and those that love the game is that those that love the game don't depend on the game. Because what happens if you're so consumed by the rat race, well, rat race is a little lower, but even just by that, that level of playing, that mm -hmm. level of, of moving money, right? When it's millions or billions of dollars that are being moved, if that's your dependence, well, then you're always going to be shifting where the money's shifting. But if your dependence is on within, what's important, what really matters to you, well, then regardless of how the game shift, you love the game because you like the change. You like the aspect of the competition within itself, but you're never dependent on it because you always depended and believed in yourself, not the money. Mm. Well said, I love it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I think it's, it's a world where at the end of the day, we have to be just doing one thing. And that's mm. like, you opened up asking ourselves questions. Yes. I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. No one has all the answers and no one ever will. But the beauty that I've come to accept is that not having all the answers, not having all the solutions, not being prepared for every scenario. That's what makes life exciting. That's what mm -hmm. makes the, the thrill of going on adventure, the thrill of curiosity, because what would be the result if you got everything you ever wanted and now you just had everything you ever wanted mm. what meaning is there because i'll tell you meaning only comes from going to where you are to where you want to be in a sense right it's it's the action of completion it's the progression towards something mm. and it's being able to perform at a high level you take that away from a high performer they don't know what to do with themselves but that's why a lot of pro athletes a lot of times have high suicides rates, even if they have all that money, because it was never about the money. It was about the sport. It was about the competition. You talk about a guy like Tom Brady, who has his whole future set. He retired and then he couldn't 
stay out of it. So he went back. He mm-hmm. went back. And a lot of people are like, why in the world would you do that? But to high performers, that's the only way. It's hard to leave a game like that. And for mm-hmm. a lot of people that walk in their purpose, they don't ever really retire. They work and do what they love. Maybe the balance shifts, sure. But they're so excited and enjoy what they do that they can't leave the journey, right? Mm-hmm. They get to the top of the mountain and now they look back and now they feel almost empty because the progression towards that worthy ideal has been complete. What's next? It was mm-hmm. such a motivating drive, driver that made him happy, that made him fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And it's things that we have to find in our own lives by ignoring the excess. But like you said at the beginning, you know, you got to put aside the social media. It doesn't mean you have to ignore it and you shouldn't because it's going to be part of the future that we're moving into. But if mm-hmm. you can't control what's going on in the internal, you're never going to be able to impact the change you want to in your world. And that's just the reality that you either accept or you change. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the concept of mastering one's emotions comes to mind. But also, I love the concept of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Alan Watts, but he talks about um, children have figured it out. We're born figuring it out, how to be happy and fulfillment. Children do things that are dangerous all the time, but it's exciting and parents can't stand it. And it's this fine line between chaos and order in a lot of ways. Uh, doing things that's slightly dangerous but also, you know, fun. And that's, it's in the middle of there somewhere. And that's, that's life <laughs> in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, and I think if we can stay in tune with the side of responsibility mm-hmm. within our kids aspect of, of curiosity, you mm-hmm. know, I had a real quick story. I, I used to work as a children's director for a fitness facility. So I would run all summer programming but one of our biggest things was our summer camps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was in charge of hiring and, you know, checking the team and team training and all this sort of deal. And when I would talk with new parents, you know, we'd always have conversations about this responsibility, about making sure the kid was safe. Of course, you know, the normal things mm-hmm. that a parent wants to know about. But after the first couple of days, they'd always come back saying, like, the kid was super happy coming home. And if you were ever present in those days that, we were playing with the kids, you know, I had my, my team, my counselors who would be executing, you know, this, this system of making sure we're, we're holding kids um, responsible for, for mistakes they made by helping them improve as well as making sure they're safe, but also having fun. You know, I told, I told them, I'm like, listen, working with kids is going to drain you. You're not working. Like my shifts were dedicated in specific blocks because I knew how taxing it was for a lot of people. Um, But it was this concept of, if you can focus on having fun with the kids and then just making sure they're safe, you're going to have a blast. If you're always working on trying to prevent them from doing every little thing, you are going to be miserable. And that's mm-hmm. a clear definition, like dealing, um, delineation that a lot of people have. And for me personally, man, I had the best time because if I needed to go out and step out, I did that with responsibility. And if I needed to help a kid, if I needed to carry a kid to safety, I needed to, you know, get a first aid kit and do something, I knew how to do it. And I was perfectly capable and confident in it. But the moments I didn't have to, man, I told these kids about things I used to do when I was little. And we used to do those things. You know, we had these these mats and we would slide across the gym floors because they were very slippery at the bottom. And we would zoom, like we would race across the room. I crashed into a wall, you know. <laughs> and so like the kids would be dying of laughter, having the best time of their lives. And I was too. 
not because I neglected responsibility, but because I understood it. But I also understood how to be curious. Mm-hmm. And I understood that there's a place and there's a time for mm-hmm. everything we do. And so I loved what I did. And it showed me a lot of parts of myself because I was comfortable with the uncomfortable. I was mm-hmm. comfortable doing things that maybe people don't always accept. People don't always think is, is right. But I thought it was. And at the end of the day, I do what I think is right. Mm-hmm. And they may say a man of conscience is the most dangerous kind, and I believe that to be true. But a man of conscience is the only man that can create change in the world as well. Mm. Well said. I agree with that for sure. <laughs> yeah, this has been this has been a great episode, man. So I think as we close it off, as we we wrap up all these different quotes, books, ideas we've been talking about. What are your closing messages for the people as well as where can people find you? What, where can people hear about what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Best way to reach me is uh, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, at Grow Our Light. It's my handle for literally everything. I've got a website coming out very soon, next few weeks. Uh, so that'll be up and it'll be on the uh, all the socials. Um, closing message, I'd say, is um, only you can do the thing. But you don't have to do it alone. Whatever that means to you, take it what you will. <laughs> I like it, sweet and simple. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got to match it now. I was about to go into a little, little, little thing, but no, nah, I got, I got, I got to find a good one. My closing <laughs> message is gonna be that once you focus in on what's important and you double down on it, everything else will fall into place as long as you keep faith in your ability to handle the unexpected. Hmm. Well said. I agree. (laughs) This has been a lot of fun. It was. Gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode on the Gentleman's Atlas podcast. You all know how we close it off. Wink it. We say wink it. He conquers who conquers himself. That's all for today's episode on the Gentleman's Atlas podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this episode with someone who needs to hear this message. If you are serious about taking your life to the next level, visit our website, www.thegentlemansatlas.com for all our services, previous content, and full episode transcripts. We greatly appreciate your support and we're excited to see you in the next episode.